Hi, and welcome to Kitty Talks, the podcast that shows you how to find and follow your purpose. I'm your host, Kitty Waters. I'm a serial entrepreneur and co-founder of the Network for Transformational Leaders, also the creator of Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create yours. Every week, I interview some of the world's leading thought leaders who not only share their life stories, but practical tips and advice on how you can become the highest version of yourself and build a life in alignment with your soul. Our mission is to inspire a generation of changemakers to follow their passion and purpose and make a difference on the planet. Be sure to head over to kittytalks.com and open your free account so you can see behind the scenes videos of our interviews and get your free Pearls of Wisdom ebook. Join our community of changemakers, making a difference on the planet. Making a di- making a di- Welcome to Kitty Talks. We share inspirational life stories that empower you to create yours. I have with me John Vroman this morning. John, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. All the way from Austin, Texas. That's right. Fantastic. Uh, John is the founder of the Front Row Foundation. It's an amazing organization, which he's going to tell us all about over the next 45 minutes. He's a social entrepreneur, a committed husband. I thought that was wonderful. A committed husband, father of two, and an ultramarathon runner. He's also the author of the bestseller, The Front Row Factor. So John, thank you for coming on and sharing your life story with Kitty Talks. This is going to be great. I can't wait to chat. <laughs> Absolutely. So for those listening, I'd love you to tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do in the world. Yeah. So I help people to live life in the front row by teaching the art of moment making. Uh, and what that really means is that um, this journey for me really began, if I think about a transformative moment of my life, 11 years ago, when we started this Front Row Foundation, which is a charity that helps children and adults who have a life-threatening illness to experience the live event of their dreams from the front row. Wow. And what's really cool about our charity and highly unique is that after the event, we are committed to helping them live every day in the front row. And what that means, ultimately living in the front row, is about stepping up and getting close to the things that inspire us, that make us really come alive. So the front row is just a metaphor for getting close to the things that are important in our lives, for showing up big uh, to the people uh, in the places and for the things that matter most to us, the causes, and really finding out, well, hey, why am, why am I here? What is the big objective here? And how do I get close to that in my life? Mm-hmm. And so we want to support people no matter how many days they have to do just that. And um, where this began was wanting to serve people who had a life-threatening illness. And what happened over the years was it turns out that our mission serves everybody. It serves our donors. It serves our, the family members of those recipients. It serves our staff. You know, the conversation around stepping up big in your life is one that's led to transformations for everybody that touches our, what we call our front row family. And can you, it sounds amazing, but can you give me an example of some of the things you've done for people? Yeah, I can give you uh, more than a hundred. <laughs> Let me give you a few of my ones that come to mind right away. Your favorite. In the very beginning, um, we created an event for a little girl named Sophie. And Sophie was battling a brain tumor. 
and we heard about her situation and that she was a big fan of Kelly Clarkson. And honestly, at first I thought a four-year-old being a big fan, like, is that possible? And turns out she knew every word to every song. Uh, she would cry when her mother wouldn't put the, you know, the, the music on in the car. And she just loved Kelly. So we put an event together and this is a whole day that we do. So it's limousines and dinners and gifts. And, and we really want to make this person feel like a rock star the whole day. And then we put him at the show. And in this, we surprise this little girl with a meet and greet with Kelly at the end. And at the very end, she was asleep in her mother's arms backstage. She had no idea this was about to happen. And Kelly walked into the room and said, hey, y'all. And the little girl wakes up, turns around, and she locks eyes with Kelly. And uh, to this day, I have that photograph. In fact, it's hanging about three feet from me over here on the wall. And, uh, and that reminds me of why we do what we do. And one of the reasons that picture is so important and is important for about half of our recipients is that this was one of Sophie's last days out. She had passed um, shortly thereafter. And uh, of course, that's the tragic part of this. And the, um, the beautiful part of the event for her for her, of course, was this was one of her best days, as her mom told us. And then now her family uh, can look back on these moments and cherish them for years and years and years. And so we still celebrate Sophie's life to this day. We celebrate her anniversary for her event. And uh, the family can look back on those pictures in the video and, and uh, relive that experience over and over and over again. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. And how, like, let's get into a little bit about your journey. and, and Because sure. obviously... You know what an incredible um, life that you've now created, and obviously you're creating lives for other people. But how did you get there? Like, tell us a little bit about your journey, your transformational journey. So my journey, <laughs> so my journey began in Japan, <laughs> where I was born into a military family. Loved my mom and dad. Uh, moved around quite a bit. So I think that's where I actually learned how to adapt or to make friends and kind of fit into any environment. So I'm grateful for that experience. What ended up happening was, um, and I'll give you the super short version, and we can go back and dig into any of this that you want. But you know, the the version of the of the story is that I, I was not growing at all. In fact, when I was sixteen and I was in high school, I was four eight and weighed, uh, you know, less than a hundred pounds, which meant that my nine year old neighbor was bigger than me at wow. sixteen. Um, and uh, it's I, hard I to believe I, now, looking at you, because you you're um, but yeah, I'm I'm about I'm about six foot and. Um, and thanks to some uh, HGH shots that came at the right time, this was in my, and that's human growth hormone at, at, you know, age 17, the doctors were really concerned. They did a bone scan of my hand. They said, you have the bone age of a nine-year-old and you're 16. Wow. You're just not growing at all. And so they tried to, you know, to spark that growth and it worked and I grew, you know, big time. But what happened was I was really, I'd been picked on and I just had developed this identity that I wasn't good enough and that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't worthy of anybody's time or attention. I became very sad and depressed and introverted. And that's not by nature who I am. I'm very much a connector. I'm a love bug. I want to talk to everybody and I want to serve and contribute, connect. Well, when I grew a little bit, I just went the, totally the other way, opposite end of the spectrum. I, with this newfound attention that I had, uh, I, was, I would do anything to fit in. I, that was my primary question in life was how can I fit in? And so I compromised all my values to meet my need of fitting in. And that didn't work for me long term, it became very dangerous. And um, I made some big mistakes in my life and, and uh, too many to even mention, but ones that I'm not proud of, a version of myself that I look back on with uh, deep sadness that I hurt so many people, including my parents. But what happened was I shifted my environment and I got connected to this group in my early 20s. And it was a very positive group of people. And I noticed that was the first time in my life I noticed truly 
that by surrounding yourself with the right people, that that would help shape your future in a major way. And so since then, I've been passionate about that. And this was a group that really lifted me up and kind of put me back on track. And in many ways, you could argue and without exaggerating, saved my life. Um, and that led me to uh, getting kind of addicted to that personal growth. What was next? What, who else could I be? Uh, what other environments might exist out there? And the next thing you know, the doors opened up to a Tony Robbins event, mm. um, which then uh, first exposed me to uh, the world um, that was beyond those, that very small community in which I lived in. And I went totally insane. In my late 20s, I spent 10,000 bucks on his event. I remember coming home and people were like, are you nuts? Like, have you <laughs> lost your mind? Um, but, but here's something I will say to your audience, Kitty, I think is very important. I remember the very first time I was laying in my bed and I saw a Tony commercial, uh, an infomercial on TV. And I remember thinking, I never knew who he was, but I remember thinking, uh, is this for real? Like, is he, is this legit? Uh, and then I thought, is it worth $200 to buy those CDs? That was the question. Is it worth $200 to buy the CDs? But then the question became, am I worth $200 to find out? Am I worth $200 to find out? That was a question that was massively transformative in my life because I realized it wasn't about Tony or judging Tony. It was about how I viewed my own worth. Mm. And so I spent the $200 and thank goodness I did because they were great CDs. And then one of my buddies said to me, as I listened to the CDs every day, I showed up to work on fire, so excited. He said, wow, you're much more interesting when you're learning. Now think about that. He said, you're much more interesting when you're learning. And I've never forgotten that statement. And so I've made a commitment to always be in that realm of growth. And so that's what happened since then. And hundreds of books later, tens of thousands of dollars of uh, events and changing peer groups and evolving peer groups and connecting with new people. Here I am talking to you today. And tell me about the inspiration for the for the charity. Because, uh, so actually before we get into that, like what, what now you look back at what happened to you when you were little. So you said about you, you, you know, you had this challenge where you were teeny tiny, you weren't growing. What was the kind of significance? Like you probably got some perspective on that now. Why do you think you needed to go through that? I think that that ultimately helped me to realize that I, in my life, I want to help people fight for, uh, you know, fight for their freedom and the freedom to express themselves. Like, I'll give you a great example of how that showed up for me. So I remember driving down the road, I was listening to one of my favorite songs in the car, Viva La Vida by Coldplay. And I'm fist pumping, and I'm dancing, and I get to a traffic light. And all of a sudden, I just totally stop. I go from a level 10 dance party to a level one dance party. And I'm singing under my breath, and I'm not dancing anymore. And then it, it hit me. I'm like, why do I care so much about what people think of me? And I realized that I went through this part of my life because I understood so much about what it was like to care so deeply about what others thought that I literally shrunk inside. I literally, you know, was diminished as a human being or felt that way. And so uh, in that moment, by the way, that I had this realization, I challenged myself to sing and dance at the next traffic light like nobody was around. And to me, that was a very important moment because you know, I did it. And I was singing and dancing and eventually I saw this car next to me and it was, it was a car full of senior citizens just staring at me. And I, I mean, like they were, they were like in their 90s uh, and they were just looking at me and I just went back to dancing because I made a commitment and I was going to follow through with it. And then eventually what happened is I looked over and they're all dancing. And I, I, was, I was reminded that I can inspire people just by being me and just by being myself or going through life. And those are little moments of leadership, you know, those everyday moments of leadership. I got inspired from, you know, uh, to just keep doing more and more of that. So now my mission is to help people to 
maximize every moment of their lives. One of my greatest fears is getting to the end of life and looking back and saying, man, I wish I would have. You know, I'm so sad that I wasn't able to dance in my car at a traffic light because I was so terrified of what people would think of me. And, you know, in all my travels, and I've done hundreds of keynote speeches all over the place at this point, and I will tell you that one of the greatest fears of anybody in the audience is they'll always say, and I'm talking about people that are doctors to lawyers yeah, to yeah. teachers to students, is, is they're so worried about what people will think of them. People don't want to stand out. People just need to fit in. Like we're human beings. We we totally will turn into and gravitate and and be like our surroundings. Like I, I I remember the same thing when I was doing all my personal growth. And one of the challenges that they set us was to go and dance like a lunatic in a public. <laughs> right. That's very hard for me because even to this day I struggle with dancing publicly. Like we went to a <laughs> wedding a couple of weeks ago that I was officiating and. Um, you know, the dance, when the music came on, I, sure enough, like this whole 16 year old version of myself showed back up. Yeah. You know? And yes. I have to work on that constantly. You know, but that's, that's really what it taught me is it taught me to fight for somebody that feels small to help them be big. And, and so was that the inspiration around helping people obviously going through the how did this the charity come about? Yeah, so I never I never fought a life threatening illness. And I don't know anybody close to me that did when we started this. But here's what happened. Um, so the, the way that this whole thing began was there were three kind of moments that all came at like the perfect storm. One was um, that I had been asked the question to rate I had been asked to rate my level of contribution to the world on a one to 10 scale It was a self awareness exercise. How do I feel about how I'm giving back? I remember rating myself a three. So the seed had been planted that I needed to give back. That was a category of my life when I wanted to work on. The second thing that happened was I was at a Jason Mraz concert. Are you a fan? Do you, do you know who he is? No. He's a great, he's a great musician. Absolutely. Like, just check him out sometime. You'll love him. Uh, maybe you'll love him, but I love him. And I was in the back row of his concert with my girlfriend. And I looked down to the front and I saw these girls having the time of their life. They stood out more than anybody. They were standing up and singing and having a blast. You know, they looked like they wanted to be nowhere other than right there. And when I looked around, I saw people in the back and they looked like they could have been anywhere and they didn't care if they were there. And I just saw how people show up to the same event in life different ways. And I thought, I said to my girlfriend, I go, life is different in the front row. And I just paused and I was like, wow, how do they get those seats? You know, do they stand in line? Do they earn the money? Do they know the people? How do they get to those seats? And I became obsessed with how people live life to the fullest in that way. That was, so that existed, number two. And then number three was a buddy of mine had challenged me to run an ultra marathon. And, and the, the short version of that story is that I wasn't a runner. I'd never run more than two miles in my whole life. And he wanted me to run 52 miles, which is, I don't know what that is, like 80K or something. A lot. <laughs> but that's a lot. It was, it was two marathons, two full marathons back to back. And um, but I was in the season of yes in my life. I was in the season of yes. So I was like, yes, I don't know how that works. But I strongly believe, Kitty, that when your why has heart, your how gets legs. When your why has heart, your how gets legs. And here's why I knew that to be true. We were on a training run of about eight miles. And my buddy and I said, well, we should raise money for a charity. And I said, what if we started a charity? What would that look like? So I said, if we're going to start a charity, maybe we should explore our greatest fear and our greatest love. My greatest fear was having my life end early. My greatest love was great moments and experiences in life. So what if we help people who are fighting for their life to have the best moment of their life? And I said, that's it. This whole front row concept existed, giving back existed, and fear and love showed up in this conversation. And all of a sudden, I said front row foundation, and it was born. In that moment, literally within 24 hours, we had written a mission statement down. We sent it out to our friends. We said, hey, we're going to dedicate this run to raise money to the charity. Here's what we're going to do. And we had $7,000 raised uh, to start the charity. We filed our paperwork and the charity was born. And that's where it all started. And it sounds like the universe was giving you little snippets of it. Totally. And suddenly 100%. you got, 
And then you suddenly got the almost like the connection, the download of, oh, that's how it, that's all how it all goes together. And I think it's so important that all of us do that is just to be aware of what's happening around us. Yeah. I think there were the elements that were important in this conversation are that there was a there was a, a question that led us somewhere. How would I want to contribute to the world, right? Um, what is our greatest fear? What's our greatest love? There was a mo there was some deep exploration, and there was a season of yes. So we were open, we were ready for something, and we were we didn't even know how to do it. You know, again, that's why I say when our why has heart, our how gets legs. Because even in that moment, something I noticed looking back was I was exhausted at eight miles when we came up with this idea. But the minute we had this purpose, I no longer felt any form of exhaustion. I no longer felt pain in my legs. I no longer was focused on the run. I was no longer focused on the, the training part of it. I was like, yes. And that brought me great energy. And one of the things we're, we're doing through Kitty Talks, John, is very much showing people that the universe is always kind of showing us and giving us the ideas of what it is we should be doing and how we can support yeah. the planet. And it's actually like you very, you know, correctly said, it's being conscious of the ideas that are being given to you and then, yes. and then taking the action to make them happen. Yes, that's right. Yeah, 100%. Mm. Yeah. That's so, where it all began. I, yeah. It's hard to believe it's almost, you know, it's 11 years later. I, I, I literally feel like I've blinked. As my son said to me yesterday morning, he goes, where, like I was telling him, I said, hey, it's time to go to bed. And he goes, where did the day go? I said, buddy, that's, you know, <laughs> you're having a good time. You're having fun. It feels like it goes fast. Trust me. Oh, and so over those 11 years, you must like, how much money, do you know how much money you've raised over that? Uh, two, two million. Wow. Two that's million. And, and, you know, in some ways you could look at that and say, hey, that's fantastic. And in other ways you can look at that and say, you should have raised more in, in 11 years. Uh, and for us, it's the perfect amount. And, and here's why we, uh, we have always been focused on, so this started for me as a part-time thing around my full-time job. I was a, I was a corporate employee. I had a full-time job. I ran the charity around my full-time job for three years before I decided to take a leap and become a full-time entrepreneur and pursue speaking and coaching and all of what I do today. But, um, you know, I'll tell you that uh, it's been a very much a community thing. I wanted to create a place where our friends could build together. You know, I've always had this dream of like, I, I was, and I've said this for as long as I can remember, build with friends. My guiding principle in life was to build with friends. Uh, it wasn't always to make the most money. It wasn't always to have the biggest impact per se, or everything's the scale this, scale that. I was like, I want to build with friends. Yes, I want to grow. Yes, I want to scale. Yes, I want to make money. But my core value is to build with friends. That's the thing I'd be most proud of at the end of my life. Uh, and that's what we've done. So my best friends and I have basically built this over the years and the community's expanded. And we had an opportunity at one point to be acquired by the world's largest ticketing agency uh, offered to acquire us and to expand it. But we decided to just stay our path and keep doing what we're doing. And we're really proud of where we are. We've grown year in and year out and we're having our best year ever this year. It's really exciting. Wow. And, and, Hopefully you can offer some advice to our listeners. So we've got a lot of entrepreneurs that listen to this. And talk me through the transition, because obviously you said you were in a corporate career. <laughs> this is fun. Wow, because, yeah. you know, a lot of our entrepreneurs listening are probably doing, like you, they were doing something on the side that they're really, yeah. truly passionate about. And actually, it, how did you know when to take that step? Like, what was it that you, what was the signal that you got to take that step? I know exactly what it is. Yeah. And, and here's what's interesting. This is my philosophy for everybody listening today is only going to apply to some. It's not a good strategy for others. But I'm going to tell you what I did. Um, I, I was making, you know, a six figure plus income, uh, living great. I had just gotten, I've just gotten engaged. And this is when I left my work. And by the way, we got pregnant that year, bought a second home, like it was a year of massive transition, moved into another state. And I decided to take a leap. 
And here's why I did it. I decided to do it because I really fast, I, I did a fast forward exercise to the end of my life. And I looked back and I said, um, what am I really going to be proud of in my life? And I realized I wasn't going to be proud of, you know, uh, at least hold on, uh, it wouldn't be a primary concern for me at the end of my life, of how much money I made or how much significance I had or any of that, it would be whether or not I pursued my dreams. I even thought about my children, my future children, what would I want them to be most uh, inspired by in my life? And it would be that I went after my dreams, at, you know, I, I pursued them. So I just played out the exercise. I was like, so what's the worst that could happen if I left my job? Like literally, what's the worst that could happen if I, if I lost all my money? So what? If I lost my car, so what? Like if I lost my house, so what? Like I'm not going to be homeless because I have a network that's not going to allow that to happen. Even if I had to live in a friend's basement or my parents' basement or wherever, I could make it work somehow. If I had a laptop, if I had connection to the internet, if I had my heart and soul and my network of friends, I would figure out a way to make it work. Now, hopefully it wouldn't get to that point and it didn't, but I would figure it out. So I literally took a leap. I literally was zero income on the side, zero. Wow. I decided to leave the job. And I went out, I had, I had zero income coming from speaking. I had a little income, I take that back. I've been doing a little coaching on the side, but like I'm talking a couple thousand dollars, nothing that could sustain a lifestyle that we had. And I took a leap. And I'll tell you the first year, that leap was very painful. Uh, I spent all my money in my savings account, every single penny. I pulled money out of a 401k. I, I spent retirement money. Uh, the next year, I went into debt. I used credit cards. I revved up my credit cards. And I'm just telling you the honest story. Like yeah, I could right. paint this. I could, I could eliminate details. I would be Not like, right. I don't have to tell you this. But I feel it's really important because I don't want people to think this was like a perfect transition for me. And like I, am a, I feel like I'm a smart person. I feel like I'm a hard worker. But this was really, really hard. This was really hard. And sure enough, right when I thought it was all going to go, you know, it's like I, I was at the very last, like I had 3000 bucks in my checking account. This is a funny story. And I was trying to do college speaking. And so I printed a brochure, which one person told me to print a brochure and mail it out to all these schools. I spent my last $3,000 in the bank account. And I told my wife, I said, this is like the Hail Mary. This is like, hey, this is like the last and final, whoop, like, I hope this works. I mean, better get a speech from this. And uh, I sent out the brochures. And on the way home, I, I had a coaching, uh, a coach who was in the speaking business. And on the, the drive home, he had just, this our first call. He said, whatever you do, don't waste your money on brochures. And I just come back from the post office, spending my last $3,000, feeling horrible. But I tell you about all these tragic moments. And that day, by the way, uh, the bank called to foreclose on our home. They said, your house is in foreclosure. You haven't paid your mortgage. Um, and I had, a, I had a newborn. I had a six-month-old at the time, which was crazy. But I will tell you that because I had put all the, the pieces of the foundation in place and because I've been working diligently for two years, it took off. And that next year, I won College Speaker of the Year uh, by one association here in the US that, that nominated me. Uh, the, they call it Campus Speaker of the Year. I won that. And my business boomed. I made a lot of money as a speaker. Uh, that's all relative. But for me, that was, it was great. And then the next year, I won it for the second time. And that really put me on the map. And I've never looked back since then. We paid off all of our debt on the fourth year. Um, and we were back in a good position. And since then, it's just been coaching and speaking and running the charity. But that was the transition. It was not pretty. So for me, it was like, I, but I don't think it would have worked like building the whole side business. And, and here's another reason why. I had a full-time job, a charity, and building a side business. Figure, like I was like, I, I have to just take the leap. My dad always told me that he says, if you open up your cupboards and there's no food in there, that's a great motivator. <laughs> yeah, well, so. absolutely. You're moving away from pain, aren't you? Mm -hmm. You're moving away from, uh, 
from, well, it's, so how did you motivate yourself? Like there were periods when you probably literally looked in the cupboard and there was no food. Like, how did you manage that? I had great purpose. I had, I feel like I just had this, this calling that I'd gotten very clear, but I spent years getting very clear about what that was, that this is the path that I wanted to ultimately take. It was, it was like you get, you spend years getting clear about it, but then there's a moment of decision and that's where I took the leap. Um, but I realized in hindsight that I had been sort of preparing myself mentally or figuring out what it was that I wanted to do and speaking or um, writing books and things of that nature was where I was impacted the most in my life. That's people always ask, why did you become a speaker? And I'm like, because I love being in the audience because I love being impacted by great speakers. I love a great storyteller. I love somebody who took a complex idea and made it simple. I love somebody who can create a metaphor that makes my heart sing, that brings energy to my life. And so that was what I wanted to pay forward to other people. And that's what pulled me forward. I constantly went back to, why am I doing this? What is the real reason for this? And for me, a big driver was the charity. I knew that if I wanted to do the charity at a big level, yeah. that I needed to create a life that would do that. Now my book tells the story of the charity. When I give a speech, I tell the story of the charity. And so I've been able to blend my business and a nonprofit beautifully together where my business fuels and drives forward our charity. It's very harmonious and it really works together well. That's why I wanted to do it. And I knew that to me, it just was the whole failure is not an option concept. I was like, I'm willing to do anything to make this work within, of course, my moral compass guiding me. <laughs> And tell me about the bit about the book, because that sounds incredible as well. Oh, this book. Oh, I got to tell you, this was, a, this was a crazy process to write this book because I was terrified that I wouldn't honor our community and the people that we've served by writing a great book. And I really struggled with that internally, this um, I'm not enough. I'm not a great enough writer. Um, you know, I, I'm going to all of a sudden write a book and put it out there in the world and, the, and everybody's going to go, man, I thought John Broman was really smart. Apparently not. We all, we all have that stuff going on. Don't worry. <laughs> so what we did is we interviewed, um, you know, we interviewed people in our community that we had served and we asked questions and learned about their journeys. And we, and, and I took what I've learned in 11 years. And I always say, I learned uh, about living life from people fighting for it. And I think when somebody's timeline is shortened, and I've heard many people say this over the years, that when somebody comes to you and says, hey, the end could be close, all of a sudden, what's really important to you gets clear. One of my best friends right now is fighting acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And actually, if I said his name, he's world famous. Every, everybody would know who he is. Um, but I will tell you that as I, as, I, as I watch him in his life, he has shifted what's important to him from producing and creating work to spending more time with his family. And not that his priorities were off in the beginning, per se. It was just that this experience has shifted his priorities in his life right now. And I think that when we do this game, I remember I played this game with myself one time where I pulled out a notebook and I just wrote, hey, if this dot over here on the left side was my birth, and this dot over here on the right side was my death, and let's just assume that I live to be 100 years old, just to throw out a random number, right? I live to be 100. Uh, how many years, by the way, of those 100 are really great years where I could do anything I want, travel anywhere, I'm in amazing health, because that's really what is healthy years for me. And I thought, well, let's just say it's 80. For argument's sake, of course, I wish it was more, but let's just say it's 80. Um, then, you know, uh, where I am right now is about 38 years old when I did this exercise or so. And I put a dot on the paper and I looked at that and that brought this great sense of urgency to my life right away. You know, that brought this great sense of urgency. And when I started looking at these things, I started thinking about all the things I wanted to do now. And that's what this book talks about is, listen, you know, I hope everybody lives for a very, very long time, happy, healthy lives. But the truth is, 
anything that you're doing today could be the thing that you did when it was your last day. Anything. It could be anything from driving your car to walking the street to sitting in your apartment right now. Mm. Um, you know, and, and so because of that, that doesn't terrify me that this could be the end. It inspires me to make the most of it. So I wanted to write a book that helped tell the story about how we could make the most of all the moments in our lives. Our lives are just made up of a bunch of moments. So how can we be more present? And you know, it, what's interesting, Kitty, is in this book talks about it. And this book teaches people how to be present in the moment. It teaches people how to create moments, how to adjust their mindset, how to make sure we're surrounding ourselves with the right people, how to shape our environment so that we're loving our, our life. And where we learned about this was when I look back on why this charity was so successful, I was like, why do so many people love this? Why are people literally tattooing live life in the front row on their bodies? And by the way, I'm not even joking. Like we have really? at least six, we have at least six people who've tattooed this on their bodies. Not no wow. joke. Um, but, but why is that? And I thought, oh, here's what's so interesting. We, we thought there were three kind of um, uh, forces at work. And here's what they were. It was the power of hope, number one. When we'd create these events, we'd say, next month or six months from now, you're going to go see Coldplay in the front row. And we saw how that hope for the future brought power to the present moment. There was one uh, gentleman, his name was uh, uh, Thomas, and he wanted to go see the Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. But he was in a wheelchair and he was fighting to, to be able to have the strength to stand up and he said, I'm going to stand for the national anthem. And because he had that goal, because he had that dream, he had more power in the present moment. So dreaming isn't about not being present. It's about how do I bring the future into the power of now? Mm -hmm. And then we realized that hope was very powerful. Like somebody who got a photo book or a video of their day, they would, if they were still battling their illness after their event, it wasn't just about one day. It was about reliving that experience and bringing the power into now. It's not like living in the past. That's not the whole point. The point is to celebrate what's been great in our lives and use that to fuel our present situation. That's, that's oftentimes the benefit of having a memory of what happened and being able to relive that. But everything, whether you're talking about the spectrum of the future with hope or the, the, the past and celebrating that, it all comes back to how do we make now more important? The whole principle was to live in the moment. Not a new novel concept, but we're just telling it through a, a new story. We're telling it through some really enlightening, uplifting, powerful stories. And it's really, uh, I'm so proud of our team with the book. It was a team of 30 people who worked on the book for two wow. years. And we are so proud of the end result. And the feedback's been really great so far. It sounds fantastic. It sounds really wonderful. Like, and we, so many people struggle with that. Like, you know, I have moments of that in my, my own life. Like you can zone out, you know, and you really have to be present. But I love the idea of that exercise where by looking at the timeline of what you want to achieve in your life is such a great motivator. Like for anyone listening who potentially has this idea and this grand plan of what they want to do with their lives, then I suggest that you get that, that pen and paper out and look at, Look at where you are now and what you want to achieve, as John yeah. says. You know, this idea of there being a timeline is it's not a scarcity model. It's not, a, it's, it's not meant to put you into fear mode. It's meant to bring to light something. It's an awareness of how much time we may have to create. And that can bring joy. I don't know who to credit for this, but I thought it was a brilliant idea. They had a, a jar of marbles. Uh, they counted out. They said, uh, let's say I live to 100. And that meant I had X number of weekends, Saturdays, right? And they took that many marbles that represented each Saturday and they put them in a jar. And then every Saturday morning, they would move one marble to the jar that's passed, right? And they would see and physically touch another one of their Saturdays being utilized in their life. And it made this, uh, it, this statement of importance of the power of this week. 
Well, it brings it alive, doesn't it? Because we, we do Absolutely. go through the emotions. We can go through, especially if we're in doing something, we're in a job that we don't necessarily like. We're like on a hamster wheel because we're just getting up, we're going to work, we're doing what we're supposed to do and you're Correct. going to bed and it doesn't bring it alive. So that exercise I can just see is powerful. To me. So powerful. Mm. So what's the feedback like been like? Are people who have, uh, have obviously given you amazing feedback, I would have thought, on the impact of the book. On the book, yeah. That, well, you know, it's, it's interesting is that I think every author probably wrestles with this, at least the ones I've spoken with, is that I'm not only really grateful for the people um, that have shared positive feedback, but I'm always thinking that I should be receiving more, right? I'm always thinking, oh, I should get more positive feedback, you know? Like, uh, did I do a good job? I hope I did a good job. Are all these people telling me the truth? Um, and, and so you sort of question that from time to time, I think, as an author. But I remember uh, I was speaking at an event called One Life Fully Lived three days ago in Philadelphia. And uh, I was the keynote speaker at the event. A woman walked up to me before I had even taken the stage. And she said, are you John Broman? Now, this is, by the way, one of the first times since I'd written the book. Because the book's only been out for a number of weeks. And she said, are you John Broman? I said, yes. Yeah. She goes, I read your book. And I absolutely loved it. Like, your book changed my life. And as she was saying this, I was like, I was just so happy. Because not, I don't think because of my ego. Like, yes, I'm important. I feel great. I felt great because... I don't want to waste people's time with the book. I want it to be a really good book. Like, I don't want to waste three hours of their life when they read it. I, I said, oh, this makes me so happy to see you happy. It, this brings me light to see you lit up. And she, she raved about the book. And um, that, to me, was something that was really powerful. And, and here's what the book teaches. And here's what she talked about. And the feedback was about it, teaching people how to be moment makers in their life, how to make the most of every moment in our lives. We give examples of this, and we talk about it. And she talked about how she became more of a moment maker and aware of these opportunities to be moment makers in our lives. And we teach three strategies with the book. We teach about mindset and how to shift our mindset or how to think, how to ask powerful questions, how to ask morning questions that lead us into the day and how to ask evening questions to reflect back. And we teach them questions that they need to ask throughout the day in order to be a moment maker. And what I mean by a moment maker is something as simple as like, I, I give you a great example. I was with my wife at a restaurant right when we were about to launch the book. And she was asking me like, hey, what are some examples of being a moment maker? And I said, here's a great example. Uh, we could have just simply had this lunch and walked out of this restaurant, which we would have done 90% of the time. But this time, what we're going to do is we're going to write a note to the waiter on the back of the receipt, expressing mm -hmm. our gratitude. And we're going to ask the manager to come over in front of the waiter. And we're going to tell the manager how great the waiter was uh, during this day. And so that's exactly what we did. And everybody lit up and the waiter was like, that was one of the best, this is like one of the best days ever. And uh, in that moment, we were moment makers. We took an ordinary average moment and made it expansive. We always say in our charity that we amplify the good to silence what's not. And let me say that again in case that, that, was, that was too, right? We amplify the good so that we can silence what's not. And that's what we do when we're moment makers. I have a buddy, Jeff Kaler, who's a magician and he speaks all over the world and he carries around this rubber shrimp with him, literally just a, a fake rubber shrimp. And uh, we, he calls it shrimping people. And here's what he does. Like he'll go to the grocery store and we puts all of his groceries on the, the shop, you know, on, the, on the belt. He'll put the, the shrimp, just a single shrimp. And when it gets to the woman checking him out, she'll look at the shrimp and then he'll look at her with like a totally serious face and say, oh, I just wanted just one. And, <laughs> and, and the woman will just laugh and then you know, he'll just pick it up and go, I'm just teasing with you. It's just a rubber shrimp. And they create this moment together and it's hysterical. And now we do it all over the place. We all carry these rubber shrimp with us and we go to restaurants. Like it works especially well at like a vegan restaurant where as soon as they put the plate down in front of you, just put the shrimp on the plate. You're like, I'm sorry, my, 
was my meal supposed to come with a shrimp? And the waiter or the waitress just looks at you and they're so confused and they just start busting out laughing, right? <laughs> and so, and by the way, I did this on a recipient event, like a front row event. We had a recipient who we created an event for at a football game here. And uh, at breakfast, I had an omelet and I put the shrimp on the plate and the waitress came over and she started laughing hysterically when she found out it was a, it was a rubber shrimp. Well, she got, so I pranked her, but then she, unbeknownst to me, she came back to me later after I'd given her my credit card and she said, hey, Mr. Broman, your credit card's declined. Do you have a different one to use? And I was, I, I, thought, I totally thought she was serious and I was like, oh, I was, and I felt kind of embarrassed in front of the recipient, you know, and I said, hey, try this one. I gave her a second credit card. She came back a moment later and she said, I'm sorry, Mr. Broman, your second credit card declined. And uh, our, our manager says that you have to pay in cash now. And, and, and I'm like so embarrassed. I'm there with a the recipient and I'm like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then finally she lets me on the joke. She tells me she's just joking with me that my credit cards are fine. She never tried running any of them. And, and we laughed and we took a picture and I'm holding my credit card and she's holding the rubber shrimp. And sure enough, like that was a moment that we, like here I am telling you the story now. When I look back on it, I laugh. That was just a normal breakfast. Yeah. But we, we created a moment that we could all remember forever. And there, there, I could literally give you a hundred other examples of how you could do that from, you know, when you're at a dinner sometime with 10 friends, just pick one of your friends and say, let's go around the table and everybody say something you love about Kitty, right? Or whatever it is. And everybody just shines the light on Kitty and talks about why they love you. And that's a moment for you. And there's so many different moments that we can create in people's lives. And, you know, so having the mindset to be able to do that is all about asking the right questions. It's all about being intentional about it. Um, and so anyway, you know, and, and so, I, so I'm going to cut myself off right now, but that was just one, that was just one it. concept, you know? I love it because it's such a simple concept, and, but it has such a transformative impact. Massive. Like, amazing. Yeah. And like, you know, you have a heightened experience, so you're going to remember that experience. And like you said, you're living to the fullest in that moment. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and that's what the book, that's what we wanted to teach. We wanted to yeah. teach people how to think like that. Who do you need to be around to make it work? And what environment do you need to be in? Because all that makes the, makes the moment. We kept yeah. thinking about what makes the moment? Why is this so special? So these are, these are simple principles told through riveting stories, tossed in you know, some science to back it up. And we give people the step-by-step -step on how to do it so that everybody leaves reading the book saying, I know how to be a moment maker. And that's you, what they do. You, there must be a place where people can share this. Like there is. There's a yeah. There's a family page online on Facebook, and we lead them there. And we also have an experiment kit they can download. That like you know you even see behind me these posters. Uh, for those listening, I have these posters in my office that have these powerful questions, and we teach people how to shape an environment that helps them move forward. So we give them the tools, we give them the resources, we give them a community to go share and talk about it, and see what happens from there. And so far, it's been fun. Oh, it must no. be so wonderful listening to the impact. Like when people go and create an experience like that. What so cool. The joy that they get out of it. They send pictures. They tell stories. It's really, uh, it's really fun. Oh, I need the book. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so good. Well, I'm excited for you to read it. Yeah, I'm excited <laughs> for you to read it. I will definitely tell you. Because I, like, I love to do things like that. Whether it be pay it forward in a restaurant. You know, paying for food for someone that they don't expect it. Or leaving little surprise cards. Or just that's right people don't expect like that's that's in my nature i love to do things. that's it yeah that's it's you know and, and these are these are random acts of kindness there are moments that we can create for people uh, you know the front row metaphor is also great in the fact that when we're front row you know some people have said to me in the past like i don't want to be i don't want to be in the front row john i want to be on the stage you know and they're like and i'm like i totally get that the metaphor <laughs> though here the, the metaphor here <laughs> is about showing up for people 
Mm. Listen, we can't go through life where we're always on the stage claiming all the attention, speaking. Like there has to be a moment when we show up for somebody else, when we become a raving fan, when we, when we show, when we stand for people and give them an ovation and cheer them on and lead, right? And like give them energy. And, and people, that's not being a participant for the record. When you're in the front row and you're actively engaged, and the metaphor of the front row is like, don't get hung up on like the exact front row. The point is like anybody listening, it's your front row. The point is get close to something that's important, show up, give energy. That's the metaphor. You know, and that's what we need to do in life. And the more we do that, the more, the more magic comes our way, the well, more magic we experience. And the more it becomes, like you said, it becomes a way of life and the more magic it. shows up, basically. Yeah, that's oh. it. Yeah, I'm so getting the book. <laughs> I can't, I can't <laughs> cool. I can't wait. John, thank you so much. We are going to have all of John's details in the show notes. So you'll be able to connect with him there and find out more about the Front Row Foundation. But I want to thank you so much for coming on Kitty Talks, John, and sharing your story. Oh, Kitty, thank you so much for having me. I love not only what you do, but I love who you are. <laughs> the world is a better place with you in it. I wish everybody could see you smiling right now because your smile totally just lights everything up. It's so great to be with you. And I thank you so much. John, that's wonderful. We will see you again next week on Kitty Talks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Kitty Talks. Be sure to head over to our kittytalks.com website. Become a member of our exclusive club and you'll get free interviews and access to our private Facebook group. Exclusive webinars and secret success interviews. See you there.